Hey there, my name is Brian Kajajian. I'm with ClassicRockHistory.com. And today I'm very excited to have with me here Roger Earl of Foghat, rock and roll royalty, a true legend. There he is. He's always got a drumstick in his hand, no matter where he goes. Roger, thanks for coming to the show today. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Brian. I'm down in Florida at the moment. So it's actually it's a nice day. It's nice and warm. And we're doing some rehearsing for our upcoming shows. Uh, actually relearning a couple of songs on the current album. Mo Magic Mojo. No. Mojo what? Um, Sonic. Sonic Mojo. Sonic. Yeah. yeah. Sonic Mojo. Come on. We all know what what we're doing here. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're, re we're relearning some stuff. Um, we've already added uh, three of the songs from the new album in our set. And we're doing a show on the 12th of November at the Iridium in New York City. Yes, that's right down near in Times Square, I believe. Yeah. That's hallowed Ground. It is Hallowed Ground because uh, who used to play there every once a week? Oh, was it Les Paul? I think that might have been. That's, that's exactly. I was waiting for you to say it. Les Paul, um, yeah. one of the all-time greatest guitar players out there. Actually, he's so great that um, my parents were fans of Les Paul and Mary Ford. I remember growing up and listening to How High the Moon and a whole bunch of cool stuff like that. I don't think I appreciated it that much then, but uh, yeah, Les Paul was an absolute genius um and by all accounts an absolutely fabulous person an innovator in so many ways you know? yeah yeah rewrote yeah, um rewrote uh, uh electric guitar playing and electric guitars so uh um i don't want to talk about guitars i'm a drummer <laughs> yeah i'm a piano player so i guess uh, are you really yes yeah uh hey, you know, i want right here <laughs> Oh, and, um, the, my piano is on the other side of the room. I can play a 12-bar in the key of C. Well, that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> you can play 20,000 songs then. Uh, no, I can I can play two or three, a slow blues, a little bit of a boogie-woogie thing, and that's it. My father was a piano player, uh, not professionally, but he used to play in a couple of pubs and stuff locally. My older brother was a professional piano player, Colin O. He played in Mungo Jerry in the summertime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of so, the all-time great summer songs. Yeah. Well, you know, um, also, piano is a percussive instrument, isn't it? Yeah, there, there, there's the connection right there. So we're kind of related, aren't we? <laughs> Every drummer I've ever met plays a little piano. Mm. Every single Since drummer. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. Uh, we like hitting things, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and every drummer I, I've ever met pretty much has a lot of personality, too. It always seems to be the personality in the band is sitting behind that kit. Oh, I don't, I don't really want to be here anymore. <laughs> I, um, well, I there really you go. Hate, I really hate my job. Uh, yeah. no. Uh, no, are you kidding? <laughs> we, we have fun. We kick things. We crash things. We hit stuff. You know, because uh, it's frowned upon if you start hitting people with sticks. So uh, hitting drums is a good idea. Uh, now, I'm one of those fortunate few in this world gets to earn a living doing something that I love doing. I play in a rock and roll band. I mean, how bad is that, right? It's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, to yeah, be able is. to do what you love. 
you know. <sighs> then it's not work. Actually, we get paid for traveling, sitting in trains, sitting in planes, sitting in cars. For that hour and 15, hour and 45 every night, we do it for free. I shouldn't really say that on there, should I? Because people will start saying, well, we don't have to pay Foghat. Yes, you do. Because air flights are a fortune these days. And renting cars, uh, that's expensive too. Uh, oh, well, it's and such food. is life. You got to eat, yeah. right? Yeah, you got to eat, yeah. yeah. Uh, the kids are all grown up, so don't have to worry about them. They're uh, happy and grown up. I have three daughters. Are they musicians too? No, thank God for that. And none of them went out with like musicians either. Oh, no, not the drummer. Oh, what are you doing, darling? Don't do that. No, um, no they're um, they actually, they've done really well. They picked really nice husbands. I was a little worried about the youngest one for a while because um, she would sort of pick guys that sort of needed looking after. I'm going, oh, God, no, you know. Um, but eventually she found somebody who is an absolute prince. And actually, all my daughters are. That's what her father wants, like, his daughters to be happy and to marry sort of real men that are kind and love them. So uh, I'm very fortunate in that order. Oh, that's good to hear. I think I think it's a yeah. common story with, you know, the kids of any any parent who's a professional musician who does music for a living, they tend to not want to follow in the footsteps. Not all of them, but because they see what the life is like. Actually, my youngest daughter, um, I bought her a snare drum once when she was about eight or nine. And, you know, because she enjoyed sort of banging on stuff. And, and they used to come, uh, and my two, my middle and my youngest daughter, well, actually, they all came on the road with me at various times in their lives. So they got to see what it was about. Um, when we had a bus, um, the two youngest ones, what were they? They would be like four and seven or five and eight, something somewhere around there. Of course, you know, they'd have a bunk or they would take over the back lounge in the bus. And in the mornings, uh, the bus driver would get to the gig or the hotel and he'd have chocolate milk and donuts for them. They thought that was great. <laughs> yeah. Just simple things like that that kids love. Yeah. You know? It was really cool going on the road. Dad, we have chocolate milk and donuts for breakfast, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Mum wasn't too happy about that. I know, mum was fine. Their mothers are okay, actually. They both forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're you're in... Uh, well, let me ask you something about the new album because you just mentioned yeah. that you were having to relearn the songs. Is this an album you've been working on for a couple of years? Yeah. Um, the our last studio album was um, seven years ago. Um, and, um, and there, of course, there was COVID sort of was in, in between then and now. That couple of years, that took a whole bunch, of, you know, the life out of everything, actually. Um, <clears throat> we started in earnest about three years ago. We'd already, we'd already laid down two or three songs, which actually we'd forgotten about. Uh, we have our own studio down in Deland, Florida. It's in the middle of nowhere on like 10 acres. We have bears and deer and uh, one panther we, that we've seen photographed, uh, which is very unusual. And um, we make as much noise as you want. There's a couple of neighbours not too far away. They keep an eye on the place. And uh, it's fun. You know, we have... Hold on a second, can I... Uh, it's 
there's some of the drums over there. Actually, we've sort of taken it down a little bit, but because uh, we, we, there we go. All right. Um, it's it's really comfortable. Brian Bassett, our lead and slide guitar player, is also our engineer and producer. So it's all done in-house. Um, our incredible manager does all the artwork. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Look. A gatefold. A gatefold. And there's stories. Look at that. Uh, none, none of this, like the black cover, the white cover, the purple other cover. Um, no, there's always stories. Oh, is, is the piece ton resistance? Uh, purple vinyl. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, that's how eight, you do it now. In 2023, eight, that's how you sell an album. You know, uh, of course, the music is... 180 gram. Yeah. They, is that and, the first Foghat gatefold album? Because no, no. We've had a couple, actually. Um, recently, since, I guess. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, since our original lead singer, Lonesome Day, passed it was, uh, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, We've done four studio albums since then, and we've done four live albums as well. I mean, we're a live band. Um, yeah. That usually comes about if we do a show and they have decent recording equipment there, and they say, you want the live tapes? And we go, well, where are we? They said, you played you play great. So uh, we put them out. Um, and every year we change the set around. Um, we had like five or six different songs to the set, uh, of course, there's five or six songs that we will always play. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but yeah, the the new album, Sonic Mojo, the last three years when we actually got down to sort of finishing it off and doing something. And uh, I'm really, really, really pleased with the way it turned out. You know, um, Foghat and and the music that we're all we all play and have grown up with, it started with. Well, American music started with the blues, as far as I'm concerned, then jazz, yeah. rock and roll, bebop, uh, country, uh, hillbilly music, gospel music. America has this wonderful amalgamation of all those wonderful things, and all of a sudden it becomes American music and. Um, this country influences the rest of the world with that beautiful mixture of stuff. I mean, it comes, you know, obviously without the Africans, we'd be nothing. Um, and then the Europeans come over from uh, with uh, folk music and tunes and melodies from Scotland, Ireland, England, France, and Spain too. And, and it's this thing also. It's a melting pot of culture. Yeah, melting pot. That's a good yeah. word, isn't it? Maybe the next album will be called Melting Pot. No, I don't think so. That doesn't have quite the same ring as Sonic Mojo, no, does it? It's hard to beat that, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, listen, just those two words alone are, are, are pretty powerful. You put them together. Forget yeah. It. Actually, our manager who designed the album cover and did all the hard work. Here we go. Sonic is an adjective, a frequency within the audibility range of the human ear of waves and vibrations. All right. Mojo, a charm or an amulet thought to have magic powers. I don't know. I, I, whenever I hear Mojo, I think... Oh, yeah, I think Mojo, I think... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I can't help it. <laughs> no, you're right. You know, he never said he? that word better than Austin Powers. Yeah, I think he was. Was he English? Oh yeah, well he was playing. You know, it was in London. It was all based in London. He was British. I mean, it was it was it was a tribute to the James Bond movies of the sixties, a spoof on them. They weren't funny. They were serious stuff. That he was murdering people and, yeah. and and having illicit sex. No, gratuitous sex all the time, wasn't he? James was Bond. Fun. Yeah. What a what a job. Well, that's why. Uh, <laughs> that's why the problem with Austin Powers was he hit, he lost his mojo and he he was trying to find <laughs> you back. Oh no! Well, we haven't lost ours. Um, we've always had our uh, mojo. Uh, about music, yeah, music is fun. Without without music, I think life would be a mistake. This this was to me one of the greatest albums ever released. Uh, yeah, we were, uh, we were we were we were pretty good back then. It was um, you know when when we were doing that record, um, I think we'd finished. We just finished doing the Night Shift album and we were due for a, yeah. back then we had to make at least one or one and a half, right, yeah. one and a half records a year, whatever that meant. And uh, Rod, Lonesome uh, uh, Dave and Rob Price were struggling to put some new material together. You know, you can only do so, write so many songs. And um, my front, the front, our front of house engineer, Bob Coffey, uh, would give me cassettes every night. And I would listen to it just to check it out, make the texture of the tempos were okay. There used to be a lot of youthful enthusiasm. <laughs> so, and I was I would listen to the tapes, and I remember saying to the, the guys in the band, we should do a live album. And apparently live albums were popular at the time, but I don't remember that. But um, the band was playing great. And um, we used the uh, RCA mobile unit, uh, Nick Jamieson, our longtime producer and bass player as well. Um, he wasn't our bass player at that time. Craig McGregor was. Um, produced it. Uh, we did. It was taken from two shows. Uh, uh, upstate New York, Syracuse and uh, somewhere up there. And we did about a, half a dozen shows. But that's the two shows that it came from. It, uh, we only put out a record. We only had like five or six songs on it, didn't it? Yeah, it's, the live it's, album. Yeah, I remember. I remember it being pretty short. There's six songs on it. There was three yeah. songs inside. We were actually playing um, about an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes back then. So I know there was a lot more material. I think it was because Warner Brothers, in their infinite wisdom, decided we weren't going to have. Um, a double album if you if the actually album was in fact a, a, a gatefold so it was meant to have two albums in there but never mind um i went to warner brothers about seven or eight years ago and talked to some people there about finding the tapes for that and they said well we don't know where they are i said well let me go down i'll have a look they said you're not allowed down there and i said why not they said nobody's allowed down there so, who knows uh Anyway, we're going to carry on without that. And Sonic Mojo, you had a chance to listen to it at all? I, I heard, uh, I heard one song. I have, I don't have the album yet. I heard you one song and it, and it blew me away. That's a, that's a sin. He does, he doesn't have the album. <laughs> yeah, nobody sent me the album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. 
Uh, well, that's our office is is slipping. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to write about it and promote it, and because I love your band, I I saw your band the first time I ever saw a fog hat was at the Comac Arena. Do you remember playing the Comac Arena? Yes, I do actually. I remember a number of times we played there. Yeah. Um, we were headlining. Was that an ice rink or something? It was. Yeah, it was. It was actually an ice rink. It there was a a team called the Long Island Ducks that right. used to play there. Yeah, I remember that. Um. Because that was a local gig for us. We were all, I mean, I still live on the island, but uh, we all lived there at the time. So we had a lot of friends coming that night. Um, yeah, it was cool. Um, it was general admission. I yeah. Remember. I stood up right $7? against the stage. $7? Uh, yes, probably something like that. It, it was <laughs> under 10. Yeah, right. I mean, everything um, was under 10 in the 70s. Yeah. What happened? I do remember something very unusual, though. I, I remember there was, I think there was a biker gang who was was hired as security for the place. Really? Yeah. Mm. Something like yeah, that. I remember, I remember a couple of gigs we did where the, uh, uh, a couple of biker gangs turned up. The um, I can't remember. Well, maybe they just <laughs> took over security. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with people who ride motorbikes. I haven't ridden one since... 76 was the last time I rode. Um, I'm not allowed. <laughs> I'm from the area that you, you, got, you guys have to live. I knew how to ride, but uh, it's dangerous on the roads. And, you know, a drummer, your hands, your feet, your legs, your arms. And, in fact, I, um, I, I, was, going to, I was going to buy a, a rebuilt Triumph at the time, our road, our front of house engineer rebuilt it and wanted to sell it. He wanted to work on something else. So I called up um, our management and said, give Bob a thousand dollars, please. And they said, okay. And then I got a call back. They said, what's that for? I said, I'm, I bought a bike. What bike costs a thousand dollars? Oh, it's a triumph. <laughs> Good bike. Wow. <laughs> they said, are you kidding? Do you know how much it costs for insurance for you to insure your cars being the drummer in a rock and roll band? Actually, I've, uh, uh, up to this point, I've never had an accident. I got stumped once for speeding on the Long Island Expressway. Uh, it was like four o'clock in the morning. Nobody was around. I was perfectly sober as well because I, I didn't drink or drive. And uh, I was doing, I was doing over 130 miles an hour. A little fast, Roger. Yeah, a bit fast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went past this policeman. And as soon as I saw him, I, I started slowing down. And, uh, you know, I pulled over. There was nobody on the road. Um, in fact, I went to a friend's, was opening a restaurant in Manhattan. And I had one glass of wine and had some food as well. And I had a friend with me who was pretty whacked. <clears throat> but I was uh, completely sober. And I pulled over and licensed some registration. He went back to his car, then came back to me. And I said, I'm sorry, officer, I was going a bit quick. And he said, a bit quick. Come with me. <laughs> I go back. And there's 137 flashing on his dashboard. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I was just cleaning out the carbs. And, there, you know, there was nobody on the road. He said, all right. I said, what do I do about this? He said, just plead guilty to doing 70. He said, I, I probably won't be there. So I said, thank you, officer. And I've been really good ever since. I got banned from driving for a year and had to behave myself. But that's it. I never, uh, <clears throat> I'm a lot 
better behave these days. <laughs> well, that's rock and roll. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I support our, our police force. Um, my nephew is a uh, uh, state trooper in New Jersey. Uh, two of my stepsons were uh, police officers in New York. So, no, they have a rough job. I mean, I don't envy them what they have to do. I mean, we were talking to one of them, Rich, and he said, he said, Roger, I spend my day chasing bad guys through the woods and all sorts of crap. It's like, but we need them. I mean, the cops I know are, are decent people, and uh, I always support our police officers. Sure. So, so now you guys made your home on Long Island. What what brought you to Long Island from England? What was the pull? I got off the boat. Okay. <laughs> well, oh, you got me there. <laughs> uh, actually. Um, our first manager uh, I met in 69 when I came over to the States with Savoy Brown. He was working for a, a beer company that was supporting the first tour that Savoy Brown was on. We were on the tour with a band called The Nice and uh, another English band. Yeah. And uh, we were talking and I told him, you know, I had this sort of thing for fishing. And he said, you ever caught a bluefish or a striped bass? I said, no what's that <laughs> so he invited me out to his parents house out in rocky point and i met the chief and alice his mum and uh went fishing caught my first blue fish and said whoa this is fun <laughs> and uh i fell in love with the place uh, i have lots of friends there i've lived there pretty much ever since 1973 actually i bought my first house in 76 i think but uh i, I rented houses there i lived on west meadow beach one summer that was fish are. that's There's, right but that, yes. that was interesting um I had a fishing off that beach did you yeah, yeah it was i spent the whole summer there one time um with my uh oldest daughter at the time and uh yeah we had a good time she used to get seasick because i had a boat there as well but um that was a bit rotten what a rotten dad i was so, <laughs> uh yeah no it's a beautiful part of the country and i've made a lot of friends out there and uh, I call it home, the big sandbar. Now, was uh, was Boogie Studios, did you own Boogie Studios? Or Boogie Motel, I should say, sorry. But Boogie Motel, yeah. Um, yeah, where did we open that? I think 1980, we did um, three. This, Boogie Motel. Time, right? Yeah, right, that's right. That was the first time we did. We did yeah. two or three more after that. Then I think we sold it to some people. Um, actually, I went there recently because we're doing a documentary on the band and uh, our manager insisted that we have to do something, including uh, Boogie Motel in Port Jefferson. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a really cool time. One of the things I learned from that was that if you're going to be productive as a band, you need to have a place where you can record regularly. And I guess at your sort of leisure, if you will. So that's why we've got a studio down here in Florida. You know, January, February, March, things are a bit slow touring. I don't like touring in the winter, to be honest with you. Ice, snow, <clears throat> getting held up at some strange airport that shuts down at midnight and you have to stay there. Anyway, that's <laughs> trials and tribulations of the road. But um, now you have to have somewhere where you can make music. I mean, that's what it's about, being a musician, being productive. You know, um, uh, I mean, that was the reason... I became a drummer because I loved, I was a music fan. 
you know, listening to like Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters. That was the reason I wanted to play music. Um, in fact, those are the records that I used to sort of sit down and try and learn to play to. Mm. <laughs> this interview will continue in part two of our fun conversation with Roger Earl of Fogger. I'm Brian Bajajian, Editor-in-Chief of ClassicRockHistory.com. Thanks for listening.